Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Stay Married Florida podcast. My name's Christopher Bruce, and I'm a marital and family law attorney in North Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, Today, my guest is Jennifer Hume, who's a licensed mental health counselor also here in North Palm Beach. Welcome, Jennifer. Oh, well, thank you. I'm delighted to be on the call with you, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, It's my pleasure. And today, we're going to be dealing with the topic of healing wounded relationships, which is, I think, something that a lot of counselors see, and I definitely see in my practice. Um, I know you've written an article for the Stay Married Florida website that deals with this issue, but just briefly, um, you know, how have you come to get experience in dealing with help, helping people through repairing their relationships? Well, I've been a mental health counselor for the past 15 years, and about 16 years ago when I was in graduate school, I started doing couples work during my internship and because I work exclusively with adults it's it's not something you can avoid Uh, people inevitably uh, if they're having an an issue with substance abuse or depression or anxiety um, you know working with them and their spouse is is a good way to go about things because their partner is such an important influence so uh, it's integral to the work that I do, and then, of course, certainly when people are having difficulties in the relationship, that's what they'll call me for primarily is for some help and, um, you know, straightening out the problems that they've, they've found developing in their relationships. So I've been doing it for quite some time. All right. Um, and this probably sounds like quite an elementary question, but, I mean, how is it that the relationships between couples get damaged? You know, that is a good question, and it's it's a very complex answer because relationships in and of themselves are incredibly complex. Um, if you think about it, each individual in a couple brings their entire family history, their entire life experience, full of good things, but also full of vulnerabilities and full of... Um, you know, other relationships that maybe didn't work out that created some, um, you know, some problems, some fears that they don't want to repeat. So when you think about relationships, you know, having some some problems, they can come from one of, I don't know, let's say a million to be dramatic, but one of a million different (laughs) root causes. And so I think this is one of the central issues that couples have that bring them into therapy for some help is because it can feel so complicated and so overwhelming and I think a lot of times couples don't even know how they've gotten there but to more directly answer your question I think at the root of the problem is some sort of failure in the negotiation process and it's not a negotiation of uh, who takes out the trash and who does the dishes it's more a negotiation of Um, emotional safety in the relationship Um, because if we bring in our our vulnerabilities into a marriage and then all of a sudden the person that we trusted so much is kind of starting to hurt us or is getting a little um, I don't know maybe just not very what's the word um, delicate with our emotions maybe we've gotten too used to each other it can start to feel vulnerable And so the breakdown in the negotiation process can be, for some people, it's even identifying that they have a need that's being violated. Uh, For some people, it's learning how to ask for what they want. 
which is the beginning stage of any negotiation, is saying, hey, there's a problem here, and I want, want yeah. you to help me fix it. So it's, it's, I think frequently you can look to a negotiation, and it's some failed process within, a, within the negotiation that people need help with and, and get kind of tangled up in. Are there, are there particular times with a relationship between two people, Taria, you see them starting to maybe go down the wrong road or, or not have uh, what you've referred to as these negotiations with each other? Did, I mean, is it after the honeymoon? I mean, is it typically well into a relationship? Did, do you have any, um, I guess, real, real thoughts on that from your practice? Yes, I do. I think without fail, when there's acute stress in a relationship, this is a, 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 a dangerous time because when people are stressed out, whether it's, you know, maybe a financial stressor, maybe it's they've decided to have children and, and you know, while that's very joyous, it's also very stressful. There's sleep deprivation involved. There's having to negotiate scheduling and babysitters and do we go back to work or not? And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great example of a high-stress time um, when couples are under high Stress, and if they don't have good negotiation skills for how to get their needs met and work with each other to manage that type of stress, then I think people begin to become well defended and they start to guard their vulnerabilities more. And if they're doing that, you can kind of imagine that they're maybe putting up a wall around themselves, you know, as individuals, instead of reaching out to their partners and saying, hey, let's kind of hold hands and, and you know, be strong together through this. Um, it's an insidious process with stress because we think we're managing it. We're kind of in survival mode, but it's that survival survival mode that becomes too individualistic, and so people start to kind of polarize from each other instead of moving together forward. Now, in the uh the recent article you wrote for uh, StayMarriedFlorida.com, uh, you referred to couples basically um, undergoing a power struggle type of a, a phase in, in their relationship. And I guess maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on, you know, when does the power struggle phase uh, start to happen? Um, what is it? Um, how does it uh, start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Power struggles are, you know, they typically happen once the honeymoon is over. You know, we most people have this fairy tale kind of idea about how relationships develop. You know, we'll meet someone who's our soulmate or that we have so much in common with. We get married or otherwise really strongly commit to each other. And uh, then we just kind of wait for the decades of bliss to, you know, keep rolling. <laughs> and, and it doesn't. What will happen is sometimes what we're attracted to initially is something that we don't have in spades about ourselves. So, for example, if someone is very concerned with finances and so they, maybe they save a lot and they don't spend very much and they're, they're very concerned about, you know, their financial security, which is a security issue and it's a perfectly fine one to have, uh, but let's just say they might be attracted to someone who's very generous and very kind and always is, you know, giving to other people and, uh, you know, isn't as concerned with the finances, but it, it kind of comes off in a very attractive way. Well, if those two people get together, 
and we fast forward five or ten years, and now they've got a mortgage, and they've got, uh, you know, $600 a month grocery bill to feed the children or or whatnot, then that generosity is going to become a liability for the other person. They're going to want that generosity to go away. (laughs) Um, Quit giving to other people. Um, It'll begin to look more financially irresponsible. And so that's just kind of a simple example of how a power struggle can start. And then you get the the generous, kind person saying, well, I've always been this way. You know, I love to help help people and whatever, and you knew that about me, and how come it's not okay anymore? And uh, the other person says, well, it's just not safe. You know, we don't have that much to give. And so, you know, you can kind of see how these, these principles begin to dovetail because now you've got a negotiation how are we going to negotiate this so that both of us can feel like we're not entirely giving up our, ourselves? So, I mean, what are people supposed to, to do in that situation? And almost, um, I've, I know I've seen it a lot in my practice, usually on one one end or the other, just on the money issue. And I'm sure there's other examples, but when you're five, ten years into the relationship or um, in the traditional sense into the marriage, you've had that first um, child, nobody's sleeping, and you're getting the stress of, of paying the mortgage, whereas the other person wants to go out and kind of spend or give the way they always have. I mean, where do people even, or how do people even begin trying to deal with that? Well, first of all, let me take this opportunity to say the sooner you notice a power struggle like this and you notice that you're getting entrenched in it, that you're both kind of taking sides and maybe you're even starting to think of the other person as a traitor or an enemy or who did I marry, that's the time you need to find a qualified therapist and go stat because what I will tell you is that when people get too entrenched in these positions, it becomes much more difficult for anybody to help them get out of it. Um, But I think you know, the the primary answer to that question is it's it's critical that you don't make the other person the enemy. Because when you do that, uh what you, what people are doing is they're 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 basically axing or eliminating any possibility to work together. They're setting up a construct that this is me against you. And that's really hard to pull back from. In your article, uh, you, you talked about getting to the core, um, and, and it's I'm probably unintelligently uh, putting this, but um, kind of the thrust of some of what you wrote made it seem like, well, it's maybe in the example of a couple you brought up, it's not about paying the mortgage payment that uh, is the source of the conflict. It's more of a, a deeper core issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I mean, what... Just for the people that are listening um, that don't have the background that uh, you have, I mean, what are these core issues? Well, that's an excellent question, and you asked it just fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I have the, the kind of imaginary couple, and I call them Trixie and Bob. And core issues are they're the important stuff. They're, I call them kind of well def- they're well guarded, well-defended vulnerabilities. So, you know, earlier I had used the, like a financial vulnerability. So if someone grew up and maybe if we use a past generation, they grew up in the Great Depression and they had nothing. And then when they kind of grew up and they, the, the economy changed and they 
you know, were able to purchase things or whatnot, they might begin to hoard things for when there's no more, you know, supply, like if that were to happen yeah. again. So that's how they kind of guard their vulnerability. And so people in the vulnerability being, you know, gosh, what if this happens again and I have nothing? I can't, I can't be back in that scary place. Well, we all as human beings have some sort of vulnerability like that. It's all relative to our experience. So some people's vulnerabilities may not be Great Depression material, uh, but nonetheless, they're, they're very, um, very powerful to them. So a core issue is going to be an issue between, you know, individuals and a couple that kind of scratches at or irritates or inflames a core vulnerability. Um, people, you know, a lot of people I see, they'll have them around abandonment. So if their partner is going out with their friends all the time, yeah. they're starting to feel like, oh, my gosh, this is critical. This is a survival thing. It feels so big. And they know, well, gosh, he's just going out to watch a game at the, you know, sports bar. But it feels like I'm being left. It feels like when my parents were working 80 hours a week and I was a latchkey kid. Okay, so that's an example of kind of, of a core issue that can come up in a relationship, and it's a vulnerability. And that's what, again, we go back to negotiation. It has to be expressed, and, it ha- and the person has to be able to ask for, um, you know, care and concern and, and um, kind of a delicacy around this, this uh, vulnerability that they have. And then vice versa, the person who's going out to the bars and watching the yeah. games that's not their vulnerability, but they've got another one. And you can bet that, you know, if you're married for 10 or 20 years, you're going to start tapping on these, and there are going to be issues that, that need to be brought to light and talked about compassionately. Is is there a good way for for couples or even, I mean, individuals um, to to figure out what their, their core uh, issues and, and vulnerabilities are and um, maybe separate those things from or help I guess in in their own mind realize hey this is not an argument about I don't know uh, Trixie and Bob and Bob going out uh, to watch a sports game or the mortgage not being paid this is really a concern that's being triggered by one of my core issues is is there a a way for people to realize when you know it's it's not a not a surface issue that is causing their conflict, and it's really something uh, more important deep down. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you raised the the issue about surface issues, and I didn't really describe that, but that's that's what going to the sports bar to watch a game is. You know, the argument might be you go out with your friends too much, and that would be the surface issue. And then, of course, the core issue would be the vulnerability that that creates for for one of the one of the people in the relationship. And so, yes, it it becomes apparent over time that you have a core issue when you're going round and around and around and around about a surface issue. So if you've had the fight a dozen times about, hey, you're going out with your friends and you've tried to negotiate it and maybe, you know, we'll say it's the husband and he says, well, okay, how about if we go, how about if I only do that once a month on Friday? And she says, well, that sounds reasonable and I know this seems kind of, you know, like overkill and I'm asking you this. It seems kind of silly. And, and then so they negotiate once a month that he'll go out, and still when he goes out the once a month, she still feels that overwhelming, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm being left behind. Um, 
the magnitude of the emotional vulnerability about it is kind of the key that, or the trigger or the little red flag flapping around that says, yeah, you might be working with a core issue. It's that, and then it's also the frequency that you have the surface issue fight, and you kind of walk away from it every time going, wow, why are we fighting over something so stupid? Why is it such a big deal? <laughs> that's, that's when you know you're, you're fighting over a surface issue that's being fueled by something more critical that really needs to be more directly examined. All right, so say Trixie and Bob are our couple, they identify, okay, well, maybe there's a deeper core issue that's that's causing this conflict about Bob going out uh, to watch the sports game or, or whatever, whatever the issue is. Um, how are people supposed to work on these issues? I mean, it's to the, the husband in that example, it I mean, might almost seem ridiculous that his wife won't let him you know, go out and watch a game with friends. I mean, how are is there, is there a methodology or way for people to try to work through this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you're kind of touching on what the answer isn't, which it, it's not, <laughs> you know, chain your husband to the, you know, kitchen counter and never let him go out because <laughs> he'll, you know, eventually run away screaming going, oh, yeah, I need my life back. Uh, in, in therapy, you know, I do a lot of teaching with couples. And one of the things I teach them is how our brain works. And there's part of our brain called the limbic system. And it's, it's also called our old brain. And it's the part that's responsible for the fight or flight responses. And then there's also a freeze response too. Like if you think of, you know, animals like out in the wild or whatever and they're about to get eaten, they might freeze up in the yeah. last effort to not, not be seen or whatever. But I think when, when our deep vulnerabilities are triggered, our old brain kind of kicks in to protect us. And it doesn't know that, you know, we're really talking about whether, you know, Bob goes out to watch the Dolphins game. It, it's, it's, that's obviously not something that's life or death. Uh, but because we feel the abandonment issue, that's the part that, that feels more life and death. And if we, in reality, were being abandoned, especially as an infant or a young child, then the limbic system would certainly be doing an appropriate job of saying, hey, fix this. So what I teach couples is, look, you know, you've got to really be able to manage your limbic system because it fires off sometimes telling us, hey, there's this, this life or death situation where it really isn't, okay? And so with yeah. Trixie, it might be letting her know, hey, you know, you're not really being abandoned and what would that really mean and, uh, you know, how can you get your needs for connection uh, managed in other ways in the relationship that feel strong and feel, you know, like they could carry you through the four hours that he's gone once a month or every Friday or whatever. And so then that becomes part of the negotiation. But with Bob there listening, it also educates him on his wife's vulnerabilities and gives him kind of a language for being compassionate towards her and uh, not not making her the the problem. You know, we never want to make the people in the relationship the problem that needs to be fixed. We want to make the the vicious cycles, the interactions between them, the problem, so that they can unify together and address the problem together. Can it, can it be dangerous for for couples to to try to identify and and work through these core issues? It almost seems like, in some instances, it it could almost present sort of a, an ultimatum um, for, for one couple satisfying the other's needs that that person um, 
might not want to meet. I mean, I mean, does that happen? Is that a, a, a good thing? Well, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it dangerous, but it definitely can feel really vulnerable for people because, uh, yes, if, if like I said, it's always complex. So let's look at one issue or one angle. The question was probably complex. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's an excellent, <laughs> excellent one. But let's say that, you know, Trixie is, she knows that it seems kind of irrational and she knows it's not fair to ask her husband not to go out with his friends. And so she's feeling like, oh, gosh, I don't want to be a bad wife. I don't want to, I don't want to restrict him. I don't, I don't want to do this. But yet I feel so so vulnerable and and so scared about this every time he goes um, if she never voices the concern to him her limbic system is going to torture her you know she's going to be bathed in you know all of these uh, I, I don't know what if they're neurotransmitters or hormones or what but this <laughs> the response that says this is dangerous this isn't safe this is scary and so you know she really doesn't have any other option long term because she's going to be suffering, right? The scary part, though, becomes what if she talks to Bob and Bob says, what? That's ridiculous. You don't need to be worried yeah. about that. I'm never leaving you. And he doesn't get that even though that's a rational response and it's probably a very true response, it's not hitting her the way that it needs to hit her because it isn't rational. It's a safety issue. It's a vulnerability issue. And... um I feel like my answer is getting a little convoluted, but as a therapist, I wouldn't say it's dangerous to look at your core issues. I think it inevitably becomes necessary because if you don't look at them, you can't just bury them. They're going to come out sideways. They're going to come out as anxiety disorders or depression or addictive disorders when people don't identify their needs that are going unmet and they don't have um, an, an opportunity to negotiate them for a win-win. Well, that I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, one of my phrases I, I probably say too many times to clients is if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. And it kind of seems to be what you're saying. If, if you don't make an effort to um, look at some of the things, some of your needs that aren't being met, um, and you're unhappy because those needs aren't being met or appreciated, um, then you're probably still going to continue to feel unappreciated and be stuck in that same rut. Absolutely. Yes, I use that oh. phrase also. <laughs> in my <laughs> counsel with people, I say, it, if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. And I think that's very true. Very true. You know, one thing that I want your listeners to understand is that being in a long-term relationship that is healthy and successful takes a lot of courage and it takes looking at your vulnerabilities and being will or being willing to be vulnerable with your partner. You, you kind of have to take a leap of faith with that person, um, kind of like you do with till death do us part. Yeah. With you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that they're gonna be able to do this and that I'm gonna be able to do this and be vulnerable and ask for my needs to be met and that we're gonna be able to negotiate this in a way that works. Maybe not perfectly for us as individuals, but that works to the benefit of our relationship. And that's very different than what I had referenced before, which is you are the enemy and you are hurting me and I'm shutting you out and shutting this down. That's what people can't, you know, pull out of. That's a downward spiral that's very difficult to correct. 
Well, I guess on the more positive note, um, if you know couples get to the point where they realize, hey, you know, this is this is my husband or wife's uh, core issue or something that's very important to them. Maybe it 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 doesn't make sense to me why they're feeling this way, but I I recognize it's it's important in our relationship and to my partner to uh, appreciate and um, you know make sure I'm cognizant of it. Is there a, a good way for couples who get to that point who seems to they would seem to be in the minority unfortunately but it, I mean for people who get there and they realize there are these core issues that exist is there a certain way for them to, to make sure that uh, they, they continue to consciously remember and understand what what their partner's core issues are I mean should people be sitting down and actually going over hey these are core issues of importance to me uh, you're you're meeting them or you're not I mean how, how do people work uh, through that? It's almost like a, how, how do people maintain, um, you know, an appreciation and demonstrate an appreciation of their partner's core issues? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what I find always is that, and, and really, truly, maybe I've not worked with, or maybe I've been fortunate to work with couples primarily who really want it to work. And and by the way, I do think that that's most people. I don't know anybody who gets married and says, you know, 10 years from now, I want to have a bitter divorce where we're fighting over kids and we're, you know, miserable and stressed out. I don't think anybody plans on that. And so what I find with the couples that I work with is that even if they are a bit entrenched in their position and they're starting to see the other person as the bad guy, and, you know, kind of against them. When we really deconstruct what's going on between the partners, what we come down to is that they want the same thing. They want to feel safe. They want to feel like they belong in this union and that um, they can be themselves and be accepted. And I think once people begin to look at their partners in terms of being a vulnerable person, that really is deserving of and wants their love and affection, when they can soften around that again and understand that they both want the the same thing, then, you know, people have a a tremendous amount of hope. One thing I, I counsel my clients to do, which is very difficult, it's not an easy task, but I, I challenge them to not take the core issues personally to not yeah. take the defenses of the core issues personally. I often use the example of a, a, a an imaginary dog that's snarling and, you know, has its teeth <laughs> bared, but it's also wagging its tail. And so what do you do? <laughs> well, yeah. first and foremost, you're 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 not you're probably gonna ignore the tail wagging and go, Wow, I'm running away from this this snarl. But that's what couples end up doing when they're when they're defensive and they're scared, they're going to put up some sort of defensive snarl that says, stop it, you know, don't don't hurt me anymore. But they're also going to be wagging their tail saying, but love me and accept me and, and, and take me, you know, as I am when I'm vulnerable and, and don't hurt, you know, don't hurt me. And so it's a lot of deconstruction around what am I looking at? So, you know, teaching people that this this pattern that you're seeing that is aggressive in your partner is really fear. It's that limbic system saying you need to fight. And so I give people the language to kind of um, de-escalate those circumstances and see it from a different angle and get back kind of full circle to understanding that we both want the same thing. He just shows it by being aggressive. I show it by um, – he protects himself by being aggressive. I protect myself by um, exiting the relationship and going shopping. 
um, and that drives us nuts. But when we <laughs> when we can dialogue about, hey, I'm going shopping because I feel so vulnerable, and hey, I see you yelling at me, and and um, is it because you're scared that I spent five hundred dollars on a purse? <laughs> so let's talk about that. Then people have a chance. They they can kind of externalize the conflict to the bad guy, which is the vicious cycles, the the defended core issues and all of that, but then they can partner with their partners to be vulnerable and safe and work it through. That makes a lot of sense um, to me. And, you know, I think if people are listening to this right now, they're probably making a pretty good first step in trying to, you know, improve or maintain a great relationship, which is uh, what really uh, the Stay Married Florida website is supposed to be um, all about. Um, but, um, you know, where do people go from here if they recognize this stuff is uh, going on in their relationship or maybe they're not um, understanding their partner as well? I mean, what what should they be doing? Um, well, first of all, I want them to hear that while doing couples work is very complex because relationships are complex and it can seem complicated and it can sometimes feel overwhelming, it can work, and people can take relationships that are, you know, scarred by infidelity and, all, you know, all kinds of things that seem so insurmountable, and they can transform them. So I definitely want to get a message of hope out there. And, you know, the first thing to do is to start doing some research about, you know, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I believe in therapy. I believe it works. Start doing some research in the community about, uh, you know, who does this type of work, and then call them and interview them. And if they're saying things that resonate and maybe that are aligned with some of the ideas we've talked about in this call, then it might be worth a go. Uh, but one, one mistake I see people make is they'll hire a therapist. The therapist isn't a good fit for one or both of the people. And they kind of throw up their hands and say, well, gee, we tried. I guess our marriage just isn't destined to work. And then they give up. And therapy is... <laughs> It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Sometimes you have to interview and go through a few therapists before you find a really good fit for everybody involved. So don't give up. You know, keep trying until you find a good fit. But I'm uh, definitely uh, willing to answer any questions people might have, and uh, certainly, you know, your callers are welcome to give me a ring. And, right, and just, you know, maybe... I, I really appreciate your, your time with being involved with this. And just uh, before we close this out, I mean, how um, how should people go about getting in touch with you if um, uh, they, they do want to seek out your advice? Okay. Well, as you mentioned earlier, my office is located in North Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, they can access uh, my information at my website, which is jenniferhume.com. And certainly they can give me a call. My number is area code 561 951 0879 and I always happily give a free 15 minute phone consultation or if people want to do Skype or FaceTime we can do that as well and I'm available to answer any questions and to learn a little more about their situation to see if we would be a good fit all right well on that note uh, this concludes our uh, program here today and uh, thank you so much Jennifer for being involved oh thank you Christopher entirely my pleasure I appreciate it this has been produ a production of staymarriedflorida.com a resource for helping couples have and keep wonderful and healthy relationships in South Florida staymarriedflorida.com was created by divorce and family law attorney Christopher Bruce and is sponsored by his law firm Nugent Zabrowski and Bruce 
For more information about StayMarriedFlorida.com, uh, go right to the website, www.StayMarriedFlorida.com. To reach divorce and family law attorney Christopher Bruce, call 561-844-1200 or email him at cbruce at nugentlawfirm.com.